I'm David Whistell, Director of Marketing and Communications at Amber and BGA, and you're listening to the Ambition Podcast. Anino Amua is the Founder and Managing Director of Avandis Consulting, based in France and Nigeria. She's also got an MBA from Cranfield School of Management and a DBA from Nottingham Business School. Anino is an expert in female leadership and entrepreneurship, and she also convened several networks, including the Africa Women CEOs Network. So I was keen to catch up with her last month about the, the issues in, in female leadership and women in business and find out more about her work in advocating for women in leadership positions. We also took some time to explore Anino's views on what business schools should be doing in order to promote and help women reach their goals. Well, hi, Anino. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us for the podcast today. Um, I mean, as we know, you're the founder and managing director of Avandis Consulting, but you've had a very interesting career in, in higher education and other sectors as well. So I thought it might be useful if we if we kicked off the interview with you, perhaps telling us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, David, for having me on your podcast. And thank you also to the Association of MBAs. Yes, sir, my name is Anino Emora. I'm from Nigeria. I am an international management consultant and the founder of Avandis Consulting in France, and we also have an office in Lagos, Nigeria. I started on my career as a banker in banking because I was interested in how finance was driving big, bigger businesses. But um, my curiosity was also aroused um, relating to how entrepreneurship um, could lead to the development of businesses. I had studied economics whilst I was at university. I had the opportunity to live in several African countries and what I found was that there were several gaps in the in entrepreneurship, and uh, there was a need to have entrepreneurs to help in the growth and development of um, countries. So I decided to offer services as an independent consultant to entrepreneurs, especially in the area of finance. I had trained as a credit analyst, and um, I found that it, it was a different kettle of fish when it came to lending to smaller businesses. Very often, they found their barriers. I then decided to go and study and uh, research this. Uh, I did a doctorate in business administration looking at financing smaller businesses in developing countries in Africa because I felt that without adequate funding, it was very difficult for businesses to grow. That led me to founding my business, which is to do with consulting for entrepreneurs and business leaders on strategy and financial advisory. And I also run uh, communities of women in business. So on that note, I mean, I know you're very passionate about advocating for female business leadership. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your various roles have been in that field and how you've supported women in getting their, their sort of foot through the door and, and, and raising their profile within business? Yes, um, that was actually quite interesting because it started out for my work with entrepreneurs because in particular I found that uh, women entrepreneurs found it difficult to raise funds. And so I started working, um, running seminars for women in, in um, women running businesses. And what I found was that um, they also needed support not just in terms of finance and strategy, but in terms of networks. And with the networks, I found that women, were, uh, their businesses flourished very often by belonging to a network. And that got me interested in the whole um, area of leadership. I then moved on to working with um, women in, uh, in the corporate life. And we run several communities around the world. We run the communities of uh, women in business leadership, women CEOs, African women CEOs. We also uh, run networks of women at key policymaking um, 
making policy making environment. For example, we have the women at Davos, and we also have uh, the women at uh, as well, because these are the areas where we have decisions being made for the world, and I felt it was important for women to be part of this discussion. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And I think that I, I love your point about networks and, and building networks and, and helping people make connections and collaborating. On that note, I think that a lot of people choose to, to go to business school or take MBAs, for example, to, to build their network. Do you believe that business schools are doing enough to encourage and promote women in leadership positions? And what has changed in, in, in recent years when I compare to to my time where there really wasn't any particular emphasis in terms of uh, women in particular. And, you know, we also saw that uh, women were, were very much the minority minority in MBA, in MBA classes. But a lot has happened. And so we have um, many universities now that have um, centers for women in business, which run alongside the MBAs. And I think that this, is, this helps and encourages uh, women to join the MBA program, because in particular, I think that research area which looks at how women can rise in organizations and what the barriers are translates into what the um, what MBA programs do and how they also put into the programs, uh, uh, put in the programs areas that would help women to, to progress. And I think that, um, so for example, we have a Cranfield, for example, does the research on women in board, board positions, which has become a very influential um, research, and uh, that has given us you know, a sense of um, how women are progressing or not in, um, in, you know, in, in, the, in the private sector. We also have uh, Cambridge, which I believe uh, just recently opened a uh, center for women, and Cambridge also has a women's, a women's leadership center, which started uh, a few years ago. Now, those are centers which work alongside the NDAs, but I, I think that um, there are a couple of things that are still, still issues, really. And that is to say the structure of the program. Very often for the MBAs, young uh, mid-level professionals come into it at a certain, at a certain time. And this time, they often coincide for women where they might have young children where they're looking, and they're looking and taking care of at home. Because as we know, the reality is that women provide and mothers provide you know, the bigger part of childcare for the families, that becomes a big problem for um, a woman to leave the workplace, to go on to a full-time enemy for um, a year, and very often a couple of years. What do you do when, if you have children, for example? Um, so a more flexible program, the flexible enemies are certainly better for women. But I think what has also happened is the reality might not be translating very often to women because we still don't have parity on MBA programs, whether it's executive or not. And what has happened is that there might have been a culture built over or built over very many years. MBA started, I think, you know, in, in the sixties, probably in uh, in the US and probably in the early seventies in um, in the UK, for example. So there has been a culture of MBAs not necessarily being um, the program for women. And so a lot of work needs to be done to to change that, one thing that I found very interesting, which the Financial Times did in um, 2018, and uh, they haven't continued that really, which is where they did a ranking which showed the top MBAs for women. And what they looked at was the outcomes for women after the, the, the MBAs, because we have the rankings you know, for, um, across the whole population. And these are very influential because you spend a lot of time and a lot of money to do an MBA. 
and you want to sort of see where you will get the better outcomes. And um, I think it's really interesting that the Financial Times did that for women, because very often women will know what the outcomes are for themselves, but if that information actually made public so that something can be done about it. So I think that, you know, if you look at the cost-benefit analysis, it can be quite, you know, the cost can be quite high, high for women, because if you're going to do an MB, it's not catapulting you to uh, a higher job or higher pay relative to a man. And if you do have children, you know, you're giving up, you know, on, on, and have to, have to worry about childcare as well. So these are some of the factors that you enter into this. And I think that um, with the research and leadership centers, um, working with um, also with, uh, with business and government as well, because policy is also an important, important part of, of the decisions. I think, you know, in all these areas, these are, are helping contributing to level the playing field for women entering into MBAs. Wow. I mean, what a comprehensive answer. There's so much I want to pick up on with you. Um, I think it's it's fair to say that we, we, in talking about work-life balance and, and, you know, bringing everything together to, to study and to give up your job and to raise children and so on and so forth, it's almost like the challenges that, that a, a leader would face in business are exacerbated within a business world because there's there's that intensity of learning. We've carried out some research looking at parity in, in MBA programs and, you know, we're moving in the right direction. It's improving, but it's still looking like if, if things continue on their current trajectory, it could be potentially hundreds of years before we achieve full parity between men and women on MBA programs. Distilling that right back down, what advice would you give to a woman thinking about starting an MBA or considering perhaps doing an MBA? First of all, I mean, the reason, of course, is why do you want to do an MBA? You know, and the, the, the reason really is because you want to progress in your career. Okay, now. Um, if you're thinking about what you're going to give up, it sounds sometimes sometimes it can sound, sound quite daunting. But I think that uh, the message that there's quite a lot of flexibility in MBAs now um, is also a message which I think can be passed, to, passed on to women. When I did my MBA, that was an issue. But when I did my doctorate, um, I did my doctorate in business administration. That was entirely the issue for me. I had two children. I lived in a different country. So uh, when you ask how did I select my MBA and my, my, my TBA, I selected it based on a program that was flexible. It was as simple as that. And um, this was at um, Nottingham Business School. And even many years later, I had immense support you know, from them. So I think the first thing is to, to say that you know, there is quite a bit of flexibility out there. And you know, the considerations might be a little bit more complex than just looking at a ranking and saying, you know, which are the top ones or not. And um, so that's one thing. The other thing I, I think that um, universities can do is to actually seek out to communicate, you know, to um, highly, to, to, to influential women's professional groups about what is about an MBA that could be attractive um, to women and also to organizations as well. So I think it's not just, you know, the women, it's also the, the institutions and also reaching out into the business sector as well. And I think also um, institutions working um, working also with, with organizations, that's with the, the business schools working with organizations in how to encourage women just the same way as you do the, you know, the more crowns and you know, with, um, with uh, graduates. I think it's sim- a similar process with women. And that kind of dialogue and discussion also brings out issues which business schools can and can deal with it where women actually engage actively with professional women and try to understand better what it is and uh, what the issues are 
And also, so, so that, that culture, it becomes a culture as well for women as well as for men to you know, um, enter into an MB to progress your career, etc. So I, I think it's a combination of, of, of three things really. Both women themselves, um, the universities, and also working with the business communities. I mean, we've talked a little bit about um, work-life balance and the challenges of, of work and study for women at, yeah. at MBA yeah. level. Well, what would you argue yeah. is the biggest challenge in reaching gender parity in, in, I suppose, the wider business arena, you know, in the working world as well as in the world of academia? I think if you start, if, if you look at the outcomes, if the reason, I, I think that unlike the first degree, the MBA, People are very careful when they choose their MBA because they're looking for outcomes. Because you're taking a year or two of work in the middle of your career, it's very expensive. And so people are looking at outcomes. And so if you find that the outcomes are not balanced in your favor, then you begin, you begin to ask questions, why am I spending so much time or money if I'm not getting you know, the outcomes? So I think the outcomes are the important thing, really. And there has to be a relationship between the envy um, for women and what it gets them leaving, you know, the, leaving the um, business school. And that, that, um, I think business schools can also add to that in terms of the content on the MBA that would help women in, in progression. We also have many business schools that have uh, leadership programs for women separately. I think from part and parcel of the MBA program is the leadership element for women as well. That also helps women in their lives as well, uh, understanding certain things. It's not all about the women, it's also about the environment, but I think we have to tackle it's such a big issue. We need to tackle it on all fronts. Absolutely. And then I suppose speaking about environments, we are probably operating one of them in one of the most complex environments in history. Um, there's so many disruptions taking place. COVID-19 <laughs> is obviously hitting the headlines at the moment, but we're also operating in a business environment dominated by new technologies such as AI, blockchain, big data, um, all, all that sort of stuff going on in the background and in the forefront. Do you think that, I suppose, disruption, volatility, uncertainty is a help or a hindrance um, in the fight for gender parity? You know, on the face of it, um, there's been um, a talk of, there's a lot of work in terms of um, gender diversity in leadership and, you know, diversity and inclusion programs. And there's fear concern with what organizations are facing that they, they sort of um, put aside, you know, some of these initiatives. However, this is exactly the right time and this is when um, diversity needs to very much be on the table. One example that we know um, of, of very well was the report or the article which showed that women, female leaders in um, heads of state and the outcomes in their countries were actually uh, significantly better than, um, than the average. Now, that shows that, you know, there is a role for diversity in leadership at all levels. So I think that the issue is that, you know, when, you, when there's a crisis, you need all your best, you need your best minds. And so you need, you know, to, you need to have diversity and you need to have cognitive diversity, gender diversity, you know, um, diversity in all its, 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 its forms. Now, when we talk about tech, tech disruption, it's also an opportunity, actually, because the world is changing and as we enter more into the fourth industrial revolution, which is driven by technology. The technologies like um, 
AI, blockchain, and big data are going to be fundamental in driving businesses. But the concern is also that uh, women in technology are still the minority and women in STEM. There is a lot of work going on, but we need to be able to um, speed that up. There are issues that we've seen in AI, in in programming, that um, sometimes you find that um, there is an unconscious bias programmed into it. So that's why we need to have more women involved in the field. I think also in technology, technology is going to, is driving our economies, but it's becoming quite diverse, and it's not just in terms of um, uh, people who have tech backgrounds, it's people who have all types of backgrounds, whether it's in business, in legal, it's in, in, it's in sales, it's marketing, it's in design. So there's a lot of room for women to enter at any level, not necessarily um, having started from a tech from tech background, because there are opportunities to actually acquire the information and the knowledge um, and so on. So I think it's more be done to encourage women to enter into um, these areas because these these technologies actually have the capacity to become more inclusive because they can um, access the data, the information across, and data analytics can actually show what's happening in the female economy, etc. But we need more women as part of um, some of these uh, technologies. I think that's very encouraging, and I think that you're, you're absolutely right, and there's a need for almost role models to encourage other people to, to move into these sectors and to take advantage of the opportunities there. Um, as a role model yourself, I'd be really interested to find out what you're working on at the moment and what the next steps for yourself are in your own career. Uh-huh, okay. Well, several things when it comes to uh, gender diversity. I speak a lot on uh, gender diversity at uh, conferences and um, working with organizations on uh, private programs. I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's very important. One thing that I've learned is that um, as a role model, role model means for people to hear you. So you, know, you need to use um, you need to use your voice. But also we are growing our, our networks of um, women global leaders. We have launched programs. Right now, I think last year we had programs in four countries. Despite what is happening right now, in fact, in the last two weeks, I've run more programs than I ever had because, you know, technology has allowed us to do that. So, for example, we had, um, I was in Davos in January, and I, I hosted the first inclusive international women's business leadership event, which was highly successful. We were um, grossly overbooked. And as a result of that, a few weeks ago, we did a session for women entrepreneurship, a, a webinar, which was, um, and we had over 250 people, CEOs, rather than for registered. We had women from San Francisco to Kiev, to Paris, to London, in Africa, um, uh, on the session, as well as, you know, um, people who participated and listened in. And um, so that's what I'm working on is, um, is, is really having these uh, networks growing across several countries. We, the physical, of course, uh, events obviously have had to have had to slow down, but the, the, the actual program that we're working on is creating a platform. So that platform will allow women to network digitally anyway, and you know, as things improve, we will then be able to revert back to having our round the world events. And of course, you, you're going to be a keynote speaker at Amber's upcoming Business School Leaders Forum, so we're very much looking forward to having you as part of that as well. Um, that answers all my questions, so thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. I really enjoyed um, your insight, your practical advice, and also your optimism. Um, it's, been, it's been really encouraging to speak to you, so thank you so much. 
Thank you, David. And thank you very much. I'm looking forward to speaking at your upcoming conference. And we have a wealth of content on female leadership and women in business on the Ambition Hub, which you can access via www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition.